Ladies and gentlemen, people of the internet, welcome back to yet another episode of Crypto Over Coffee. I hope you're doing well today. And if you're new here, every Saturday, we break down the latest news and the hottest topics in the world of technology and cryptocurrency over a cup of delicious coffee. Actually, today, I've got a coffee tonic. You can probably hear it bubbling. <laughs> but that being said, in today's episode, I'm talking about Cardano, Ethereum, crypto prices, our usual 404 Logic Not Found segment, and much more. So make sure you stick around for all of the updates in today's episode. As always, let's kick it off with questions from you, the awesome folks who support Crypto Over Coffee. And of course, if you want one of your questions answered, please leave them in the comments down below. Tweet me at Shoshi4 or leave them in the Shoshi Discord. And if you would be so inclined, please do subscribe to the channel, hit the bell notification button, or follow the podcast on your platform of choice so you get a heads up whenever I post new episodes of Crypto Over Coffee. And if finally, if you are a Cardano ADA holder, please do consider delegating to my stake pool with the ticker symbol H4SH. Thank you in advance for that. And that being said, let's go ahead and dive into the very first question of the day. Now, the very first question is, in fact, from Don R. Uh, thank you very much, Don, for your support of my wife's foundation. For folks that are interested, last episode, I uh, talked about my wife's uh, new nonprofit foundation benefiting those who suffer from addiction. Please do check that out. Albertus Project. Link is in the description below. The question here is about Cardano's support for NFTs. Without smart contracts, is the sale or transfer of ownership still possible on Cardano? Or is it just a place to store metadata until Plutus smart contracts are available on mainnet? Thank you, Don, for your question. Now, in terms of Cardano, right now there is support for NFTs and fungible tokens as well. So non-fungible and fungible tokens. And you've probably seen NFTs being minted on the blockchain. That's because instead of using smart contracts to create an account for tokens, Cardano itself at the very base layer on its ledger layer can support uh, multi-assets, right? So tokens on Cardano are treated like ADA. This is in contrast to Ethereum, which is an account-based model, and it uses smart contracts, ERC-20, ERC-721, etc., to make tokens. This means that there is some functionality that's available now on Cardano mainnet and some that isn't. So in terms of creating a marketplace where you can buy and sell NFTs all on-chain, interacting with sort of on-chain business logic, no, you can't do that sort of functionality. So like these big marketplaces like OpenSea uh, and things that you see online in the Ethereum ecosystem are not yet possible on Cardano. But what is possible on Cardano is to set up sort of a front-end interface where you can buy and sell NFTs. It just both parties are going to have to trust each other and work together on an application layer, sort of uh, off of the blockchain to say, hey, I want to buy your NFT. I'm going to send you some ADA and then you send me the NFT. Of course, there is some counterparty risk in that. So for the time being, there are ways to transact NFTs, but not a friendly way to do it online with the counterparty risk protection that comes with a smart contract. If you pay, the NFT is released. If you don't pay, the NFT isn't released, vice versa. Uh, so that's the gist. Thank you for your question, Don. Second question is from GB Talk Us. If Bitcoin crashes, other crypto crashes. Can you someone explain to me what the point of investing in other crypto is? So there is this sort of mindset, right, that if Bitcoin is sort of the leader of the market, then what's the point in investing in other crypto? Right now where we are in the space, we're in this bearish period where crypto in general, Bitcoin included, is way down. 
it is very unlikely that in the short term, because of the relatively small market cap that there is in crypto, and because of the sort of larger than life sort of godfather-esque way that Bitcoin sort of presides over the market, that we will find that altcoins and Bitcoin decouple from each other uh, in the near future. I highly doubt that will happen. But that being said, Bitcoin has its own value proposition. It's extremely sound economically. Proof of work in this case is actually a benefit in establishing a cost of issuance, making the network secure, infusing value into Bitcoin with a fixed supply. There is also something to be said for cryptocurrencies that take a different approach to be a world computer, a platform for decentralized applications to be built, a uh, data marketplace, something like Ocean Protocol. There are a lot of other use cases that are needing some attention and needing to be tapped. These are more nascent use cases. Therefore, if you're investing in those today, you might be frustrated when Bitcoin goes down, this altcoin gets pulled down, but the reality is you're investing in the future. So worrying about what's happening right now definitely might be frustrating, but thinking about how these different pieces of the puzzle are going to start to decouple from one another and start to move more independently, similar to what we've seen in tech. In the tech world, tech stocks in general and tech companies in general kind of go up and down as a group, but there are different companies that have really solid, solid business models, really solid products that sort of move independently of the market because they are extremely successful. I think that's probably what's going to happen again with crypto. So over time, this is going to be less of a problem, but don't let the sort of movement of the market dissuade you from investing in something that you truly believe is going to change people's lives. So focus on the fundamentals. Does this solve a problem? Are the fundamentals in place? Do I believe in this long term? Do I believe that the current market value is less than it will be in the future or is less than it deserves? The answer is yes. Then you should consider within your risk management profile investing. Okay, not financial advice. Just giving you my two cents and my opinion. Thank you for your question. Third question of the day, uh, my lad N. Now, this is a question that's targeted towards Cardano, but I picked it because I think this needs to be said for a lot of different projects. So can you please comment on Cardano not needing oracles like Chainlink? Now, there's this whole thing going on in the space where people are saying, oh, well, my layer one chain or my sort of base level blockchain doesn't need oracles. And oracles being a way for external data to be proofed and submitted on chain to be used in smart contract execution. A great example of what an Oracle does and why it's so important is in DeFi, decentralized finance. When you're in decentralized finance, a smart contract needs to know the price of various tokens. So in the world of Ethereum, I can't have a DeFi protocol like Aave unless it has a reliable way to know what the price on the open market around the world is for a given cryptocurrency in ERC-20. Unfortunately, on chain, on an ERC-20 contract, it doesn't tell you the fair market value. This has to come from outside. Now, this is a common attack vector because if the pricing of an asset is priced way low or way high, it can throw off the calculations in these automated moneymaker platforms like there are in the DeFi space, causing havoc. This has happened in the past. This is why oracles need to be there. Oracles are what provide a sort of aggregated, um, trustless, more or less, uh, provably sound feed of data from the real world into smart contracts, which are naturally not aware of what's going on outside of the world without oracles. Now that we get that, all blockchain platforms need oracles, whether they're built directly into the protocol or they are built on top of the protocol in something like Chainlink. All platforms need oracles. 
Cardano is no exception. Cardano does need oracles. There are a lot of people who are saying we don't need oracles because we have sort of platforms like uh, Ergo already. We've got platforms that are going to bring that sort of natively in the protocol. The truth is you still need oracles. There are some notable projects out there that are doing oracles, oracles, or oracles. I can't speak today. But anyways, there are a lot of projects that are doing this. Uh, one notable project in the Cardano space is uh, Charlie, Charlie Oracles. It's Charlie with the three instead of an E. Now, there are a lot of examples of this, but why I like Chainlink so much is because Chainlink is taking a multi-chain approach to this and saying we want to be an Oracle provider that aggregates data across many blockchains and works with interoperability networks like Icon, Polkadot, etc. So there's the idea, Cardano, almost all layer one blockchain networks, if not all, need Oracles. If you're doing DeFi, if you're running business logic, you need Oracles. Uh, great. So that's all the questions we have time for today. Want to make sure we have enough time for all the news today. So let's go ahead and get started with that. Now, just a friendly reminder, again, please be aware of scammers in the comments that are posing as me and other crypto YouTubers. I don't have a WhatsApp. I don't do outreach on Telegram or WhatsApp or really anywhere. So I will not ask you to contact me. If the comment does not have the name highlighted like you see here, it isn't me. And uh, you can go ahead and report them. Sorry, I'm getting a message here. Now, in terms of coffee, right, I said I'm making a, I made a coffee tonic. It's actually grapefruit coffee tonic. It's an amazing summer coffee drink. So cheers. All right, let's kick things off with a crypto market update. Of course, the theme has been that crypto is under immense selling pressure these days. That's no secret. This week has been no exception. We've had lows in the upper 20Ks and highs in the mid 30Ks for Bitcoin and plenty of choppy waters for altcoins as well, even for coins that have been holding up in price in the bearishness lately, Cardano being one of them. We're reaching the point where sentiment is at a low. People are angry, people are scared and unsure of what's to come next. And personally, I empathize with those feelings. I've been there and I understand. I would like to offer up a viewpoint, though, that might give some clarity as to why we're seeing so much of this volatile negative action. First of all, the price action that we're seeing right now is indicative of a market that cannot come to grips with the many unknowns that are out there surrounding the events that are unfolding, like the Bitcoin mining ban in China, legal tender status in El Salvador for Bitcoin, etc. Whether these are good or bad stories, the market doesn't know how to react to what's happening. People don't know what's going to happen as a result of these events, and they're waiting with bated breath to see how it plays out. Secondly, many people have shifted to the HODL-only strategy, which is good, but when large swaths of the market do this, the volatile and volatility left over from heavy traders creates this cyclical chop in price where we see these big swings up and down where they play and make profit. If you're long in crypto, do not stress this short-term mess. Stay the course, drink coffee, rest easy, continue dollar cost averaging if you're doing that. We've been through this before. We can do it again. The price does not dictate everything. More on that later. <clears throat> I believe that we're going to clear this period in 2021. And this won't be a sustained bear market for years to come. Do I know for sure? No, I, I can't possibly know for sure. And anyone who says they do doesn't know. But right now on June 26, that is how I feel. If you're feeling anxious or worried about things right now, I totally understand. And if you want to chat about it or ask questions, feel free to tweet me at Hishoshi4. I try my best to answer as much as I can there. And I do want to help. Changing gears here, though, I wanted to shout out a big piece of news that I feel is not getting nearly enough attention right now. And maybe because of the market, maybe because of other factors, I don't know. But anyway, 
Brave, the absolute best web browser on the market right now, in my humble opinion, has been moving the needle on making internet privacy and security at the browser level mainstream for millions of users around the world for the last several years. The Brave browser provides private by default features with ad and tracker blocking, privacy preserving sync, and more. If you haven't tried Brave yet, you definitely should. You can hit my referral link down in the description below to try it out. I've been campaigning this for years, so this is nothing new. You might also know that Brave is one of the places where you can set up opt-in ads. They have this opt-in ad program where you can view anonymously matched ads that respect your privacy. And for viewing those ads, you can earn the native cryptocurrency BAT or basic attention token. I personally earn about 15 bucks a month from ads, which is nice money I didn't have before. However, despite all the work that Brave has done to level up privacy for its users, there was one area that they just couldn't control at the browser level, and that was search. Even if you use Brave Browser or other privacy-preserving stuff, you use Google to search, you're exposed to tracking and analytics on your behavior. Google tracks you through their search engine. Therefore, Brave set out to create their own privacy-preserving search engine, no surprise, that one could use without fear of being a feed for algorithms gobbling up personal data or being a test subject for invasive ads that are built from a profile of you. You can now navigate to search.brave.com to try out the beta version, beta version of the new search engine, which doesn't track you, doesn't show you ads by default to rely on secret backend indexes or processes. It's transparent. Brave is using its own search index for results and is continuing to expand that index over time, which means that in the future, there will be no need to use third-party indexes or indices, excuse me, for long-tail keyword searches. So now there's still some third-party involved, but it's transparent when that's done. In the future, Brave will also enable an optional premium service that allows ad-free browsing ad infinitum, as well as an anonymously matched ad platform that will cover the costs for the search engine. This is just the beginning for this new search engine, and I'm stoked to see how it evolves from beta to a full-fledged contender against Google search engine. I really believe in Brave, and I will support them continuously because I love their product. Now, folks, today is the day that the weekly Crypto Over Coffee giveaway returns to the channel. People have been asking about, uh, asking about this a lot. Every week, I was giving away a Kobo tablet steel seed phrase backup, and I had to pause the giveaway because Kobo, the manufacturer of that product, was going through a rebrand and spinning off into a new standalone company. Now, the core founder and head of hardware, Li Shin Liu, is a good friend of mine, and now that the company is launched, he joined me on the channel to talk about launching under the new name, Keystone, and now we have a new and upgraded giveaway for Crypto Over Coffee. So take a look at a snippet of that interview. I'm going to post the full one soon, so make sure you're subscribed. I'm really excited about being able to continue working with, with now Keystone on the channel more directly. Big fan of the wallet, big fan of the people, big fan of the company. Um, and so we've been doing this like giveaway on my Crypto Over Coffee series on Saturday that went away for a while while you were doing the rebrand. Now people know why that is, right? There was a transition yes. period, um, yes. but it's coming back. So Leisha and I, I just wanted to, to pass it to you and say, first of all, thank you for, for continuing the, the partnership with me. Yeah, yeah. First, actually, I want to explain that why we wanted to part, do the partnership with you, Hashoshi, because, because you are the very few uh, YouTubers that have strong technology background. And uh, at the same time, you can explain technology with layman's words to the most average users. This is why, and also we, I, I've talked to a lot of YouTubers, not all of them care too much about security. 
So mm. with your tech background, we can we echoes your like your idealization about uh, security and also your best practice introduced to your followers about security. So this is very important, and this is mainly why we we do the partnership with you. So uh, from now, as as the Keystone has been launched, so first is uh, for every month we will give away one. Keystone Pro hardware wallet for each month, and uh, for each week we will give away a, a Keystone tablet, which is our uh, cold storage, metal storage for your for your recovery phase. And uh, for this one, you can use it with any software or hardware wallet. Uh, mm -hmm. If it's compatible with BIP39, then you can use it. So this Amazing. is more universal, and you can use in different scenarios. And uh, yeah, just uh, one Keystone tablet for each week and uh, one Keystone Pro hardware wallet each month. Awesome, guys. So please do go check out Keystone. The link is down below. And if you want to be entered in the giveaway each week starting today in this episode, just comment below on the video, comment anything you want, and you're entered in the random draw for a Keystone tablet for your seed phrase. Now, if you want to win the monthly grand prize of a Keystone hardware wallet, the actual hardware wallet device, make sure you come and watch all four monthly episodes of Crypto Over Coffee to enter your comment to win. And I will pick one winner across those four episodes per month to win a wallet. So thanks so much for supporting Crypto Over Coffee, folks. I'm really happy to be able to give back as much as I can. All right. So one of the major questions I've been getting across platforms these days from both Cardano fans and Cardano doubters is what happens after the Alonzo hard fork that is set to bring smart contracts to mainnet in the late summer timeframe. Coffee break. Of course, smart contracts are a major component here, but there is also the question of governance. How will Cardano separate from IOG slash IOHK, the core team behind the project? Also, the question of performance and throughput. How will Cardano scale further from its current transaction throughput average of about seven transactions per second based on current network conditions and parameters, mind you? Theoretically speaking, with the current max block size of 655, actually, no, I'm sorry, 65,536 bytes today, virtually blocks are never full at that size on mainnet today. So more throughput isn't required yet, but with the advent of smart contracts and more heavy on-chain activity, both size and volume wise, that block size limit might need to be revisited soon to achieve a notional capacity of maybe 30, 40, or 50 transactions per second on that first main level of the Cardano mainnet. Now this throughput is good enough for most short-term projections of how Cardano will be used. But if Ethereum is any indicator for the growth curve of a blockchain like this, more scalability into the thousands of transactions per second will be required using more than just tweaking block size parameters. Take a look at BSV, for example. That said, that said, and that was a joke about BSV, by the way, there is a layer two scalability solution in the works that has begun to be published in formal research by Cardano's teams dubbed Hydra with this Hydra setup, it basically creates parallelized operating environments where transactions can be handled in the thousands in an elastic fashion, meaning the more transactions that come in, the more heads of the Hydra pop up to handle that load and then recede back as volume returns to normal. Like everything in the Cardano ecosystem, the nomenclature of this is clever, referencing the many-headed Hydra of mythology, a chop off a head and two come up. 
Beyond scaling though, with Hydra, there are further development phases to build on top of this foundation that Cardano has set, including scalability models for hybrid UTXO and account-based ledgers, dubbed Basho, and the on-chain governance models encapsulated in the Voltaire development phase. Of these two, Voltaire is the next critical step in my personal view, because it will set forth the mechanisms for the Cardano community us to assume full control and responsibility for democratically making decisions and developments on the Cardano mainnet rather than the majority of that responsibility being taken by Input Output Global or IOG today. This is the natural progression of things in a decentralized network and very important to the future of the network. So while it is an exciting time to be a part of the Cardano world with smart contracts unfolding before our eyes, there are tons of really exciting and powerful pieces of research and development to come. So by the way, if you're an ADA holder and you want to earn some passive income by delegating to a stake pool and participating in on-chain governance in a decentralized way, please consider delegating to my new stake pool with the ticker symbol H4SH. I will leave my pool information below if you're interested. I'm really excited because my pool has started to mint blocks on the Cardano network and rewards are beginning to flow out to delegators. So thank you in advance for any support that you can give me. But of course, there is no pressure. Now, quick coffee break, and then we have our game of fact or FUD. Like I said, folks, next up is today's game of fact or FUD, where I take a piece of no good, very bad news and tell you whether it is fact or simply fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Lately, my friends, I've seen a lot of incendiary comments, to say the least, on the topic of regulation and oversight in the crypto industry across many countries. And it's this idea that if regulation of any kind or laws of any kind are put into place, that crypto is dead. Now, every time there's a news story about a bill passing in U.S. Congress or in the U.K. or in Europe in general, any country, the markets react negatively to basically any thought of regulation. Now, I will caveat this by saying that any implication that regulation is always good is not true. It isn't always good. Regulators do tend to overregulate. I get that. However... What I would like to illustrate here is that all regulation is not bad. And the idea that any regulation should tank the markets is just ridiculous in my view. The parallels to the internet are fairly evident here. Regulators needed to stay hands off to an extent for the internet and the tech industry to grow unabated. But actions were taken along the way to provide clarity or frameworks or make it easier not to break the law. Not all actions were good, not all were bad, but the end result is an industry that has thrived and grown to epic proportions in a way that it permeates every single one of our lives. And it continues to expand and grow year after year. While regulation and crypto will not be all good or all positive, it will not also destroy the industry altogether. That fear is unfounded in my opinion. Regulation is inevitable, that's the truth, but in spite of this, the cryptocurrency markets and the, pre, like the protocols in general that sit underneath the markets will continue to grow and change the world. Anyone who says that regulation will with 100% certainty destroy the whole industry is just spreading FUD in my opinion. Each piece of regulation or policy should be evaluated as good or bad individually, not using broad generalizations. Speaking of broad generalizations, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for our 404 Logic Non-Found segment today. And for those of you who are as of yet uninitiated in this little firecracker of a segment, I highlight notable tech-related fails or otherwise stupid moves in the world that need to get some attention. And speaking of attention, if you want to help this episode of Crypto Over Coffee get some attention from the algorithm robots, please do hit that like button, 
get subscribed, follow the podcast because it tells those robots that you're enjoying what you're watching or listening to and others might also do the same. Thank you for that in advance. My throat is killing me, folks. I've been talking tons and tons and tons lately, so uh, acid reflux, you know, the fun stuff. The subject of today's logical showdown is the very, very common sentiment that crypto prices are the primary measure of success in this industry. See, it's easy to think that in this way, crypto prices are everything. Because, hey, in the stock market, you can point directly to stock price and say, that company is doing well and profitable. And that's why the stock price is so high. They're profitable, right? And actually, in reality, it's not like that. There are companies that are largely unprofitable, that have sky-high costs that offset their revenues, or they're in a high-growth phase, building a product that they don't have yet, but they're promising will come. The price of that stock is likely drawn from what? Speculation about what the company will do, or the assets that it has accumulated in the IP rather than anything else. It's funny how that works, isn't it? Sounds like the criticisms against crypto from Wall Street. Anyway, it's turning into another Logic Not Found segment on that topic, but back to the task at hand, that's another thing for another day. My point is, success is not an exact measure, and how one quantifies that varies greatly depending on who you ask. For me, a cryptocurrency could be down 40% in price, but building a life-changing piece of technology that I really like and might not be appreciated or adopted the way that I think it will be one day, and I would still qualify that project as a success. Others might call that a failure, and subjectivity there is good. I respect that and love that people have different opinions. It's easy to assign most of the weight in an evaluation to the price of an asset, because that's representative of other people, broadly in the group, and their sentiment about that asset. If they're buying and you're buying and the price is going up, well, that asset is good in your mind. Why? Because humans have a certain psychology that we all share. The human brain loves to be in a state of group consensus and confirmation bias. That's how we all are by nature, and that's okay. But knowing this and noting this, we can override that tendency to focus only on the most visible metrics like price and look more objectively at things in the moment. There are many other measures of success, like how many users there are for a protocol, how many active developers there are, the impending launch or recent launch of a big new product or feature, the anticipation of real-world adoption a protocol is getting or is actually achieving already. There's so many different things, even the fundamental economics of the asset itself. Right now, we're seeing just about every cryptocurrency down 50 plus percent from highs. Does that mean every cryptocurrency is worthless and a failure? To me, not a chance. This, this market is just starting. These protocols are still in their infancy. And a small fraction of 1% of the world population is even interested or aware of what this industry might bring. This is evident in the dawn of the internet as well. The road was really rough, even for companies that dominate today like Google. Times back then didn't look good for those companies either. But look at the internet and the tech industry today. Those who looked at the tech stock blowouts in the past and cast aside those ideas as worthless based on the stock prices alone might not be so happy with that choice today. My point here is that while price is an indicator of success, it's only one of many measures, and it's arguably one of the most easily manipulated or skewed measures, which can become uncorrelated with the true value of an asset. Remember, ascribing assets value or success to its current price is a 404 logic not found. There is so much more to it than that. Now I wanna pause really quickly here and just give a quick 
big thank you and shout out to the sponsor of Crypto Over Coffee, Ledin. Ledin is a one-stop shop for holders of Bitcoin to earn yield on that Bitcoin and access a plethora of awesome features to grow their Bitcoin stack. You can earn 6.1% interest on Bitcoin and 11% interest on USDC stablecoins. And there are even more features sort of underneath the fold that help you build your Bitcoin portfolio on the platform that you just have to try out. Ledin is available in a plethora of regions, so it's likely available where you are. And if you haven't yet, please do try Ledin or at least check them out. I will leave my referral link down below in the description and the pinned comment if you would like to check it out. So thank you for that. And thanks to Ledin for keeping the lights on for crypto over coffee. It's been a while now since I gave an update on Ethereum and Ethereum 2.0, and people have been hassling me for that a little bit. So I thought it would be a good time to revisit that in today's episode. The first element of this update is with the adoption of the London hard fork, which is scheduled for July on mainnet. And this London hard fork most notably contains the controversial EIP-1559 upgrade, which would see the fee structure in Ethereum change drastically. It would essentially introduce a burnt base fee on transactions, plus a variable tip on top of that base fee for more expeditious transaction validation. This is widely regarded as a unilaterally great thing, as it would make Ethereum's supply deflationary because more ETH would be burnt by fees than is minted in block subsidies. I have talked ad nauseum about this and how nuanced it is and how it's not necessarily a surefire win across the board, but for the sake of brevity, I will not dive deeply there again. You can find that in several videos of mine. The end result is that at best, you get predictable fees, not lower fees, and best case, you get deflation of ETH supply, which I will admit is good. At any rate, Back then, I said we will not know even remotely how well this will go in the real world until testnet adoption, where it's public. And here we are. This week, the Ropsten testnet, which is relatively similar to the mainnet Ethereum, has undertaken the London hard fork with EIP-1559 introduced. This gave us some real-world data on what you might expect on mainnet, barring some sort of contentious hard fork scenario. You can actually view in real-time blocks and burnt ETH in real time on watchtheburn.com, which I know is kind of a, a funny name. That said, since it went live about three days ago, close to 100,000 ETH, I think actually like almost exactly 88 or 89,000 has been burned on Robston. Now the usage and volume on Robston is not exactly like mainnet. So it's an okay starting point to kind of get an idea, but it's not a perfect indicator. So far, things look promising though on the burning of ETH. So I'm cautiously optimistic. But what I wanna see is what happens when Ethereum is at peak congestion on mainnet and that base fee is pushed up. That's going to be telling in terms of whether fee bidding happens yet again, how much ETH is getting burnt at peak capacity. Does that get sustained over a long period of time? So far, so good, but let's keep watching. Now, on the ETH 2.0 side of things, there's been a lot of chatter going on uh, behind the scenes about what's going to happen going forward. Will the migration of ETH 1.0 to the proof-of-stake beacon chain take place early? Will things go according to the original plan and take longer? Will things be delayed? It seems like there's not consensus yet, pun intended. But what I can tell you is that more and more people are staking Ether on ETH 2.0's beacon chain, whether directly or through custodians. And I want to issue a word of caution here. Just know the risks of doing that. When you give up your Ether to custodians to stake for you, you are exposing yourself to risk of loss of funds. When you stake Ether yourself, you need 32 minimum, 32 ETH minimum to do so, and you must know what you're doing so you don't get slashed for failing to maintain uptime or losing your Ether by some other error. 
This is the Wild West right now, folks. Do not take this choice lightly and know that there is likely a one-year period, maybe less, where you can't change your mind and pull your ether out. Some do not like this public test approach that Ethereum employs by putting this out there before all the safeguards are in place. That's why it's optional whether you participate in this early phase or not. So if you don't want to take the risks, do not stake your ether. The big question is, is it worth the yield to you or not to take the risk? If not, skip it. I anticipate that ETH 2.0 is going to be launching in its first phase in December or January. If I had to take a wild guess, and it's going to be a heck of a whirlwind when that does in fact happen. Now, folks, that is going to do it for Crypto Over Coffee today. Thank you so much for watching. And if you have some time to stick around, I'm going to link up a video about a really cool platform called VinoVest that lets you invest in wine in your own time with not a whole lot of money. And it's pretty much set it and forget it. So check that out if you have some time. As always, thank you for watching. I hope you and your family have a wonderful and restful week and weekend ahead. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.